Two Geeks and a Marketing Podcast, Episode 4, the one about becoming a pixel being, theme park thinking, and back to the future. Let's get on with the show. Welcome to Episode 4 of Two Geeks and a Marketing Podcast. As always, we are here to keep you up to date with the latest news, tech, content, and wisdom from the world of marketing. As always, my co-host is a man on a mission to demystify digital marketing. He's the host of the Content Marketing Studio podcast and other video series. Please welcome Mr. Pascal Fintoni. Well, thank you very much for this wonderful welcome. What a pleasure it is to spend even more time with a man on a mission too. You're here to demystify marketing. You're the voice of the marketing and finance podcast and the host of the Rod's Vlog video series. I give you Mr. Roger Edwards. Oh, thanks, Pascal. So without further ado, I think we should dive straight into the news. What do you think? Let's do this. So here we go with the news. Google Maps is launching Live View, a feature that helps you find directions using your phone camera and AR information, including buildings, street names, and other landmarks. According to drum.com, lockdown has boosted the at-home habits of listeners, listeners and users of Spotify, with smart speakers, connected TV, and game consoles up by 40%. Brief is the name of a news aggregator app founded by former Google engineers. It promises to summarise the key facts, provides context and offers viewpoints from both sides. Following an announcement made earlier in the year, Instagram is now allowing you to pin up to three comments on top of your post, helping you give a shout out to your best contributors and highlight positive contributors. A recent survey by WordPress Engine would suggest that Generation Z wants brands to be truthful and good, with 72% stating they're more likely to buy from a company that contributes to social causes. Now, Roger, the UK government has banned Huawei from its 5G telecom network and national operators must complete the removal of all Chinese technology by 2027. And I'm glad you pronounce Huawei there because I'm going to bring Huawei up later on in this podcast. So thanks for reminding me how to pronounce it. Microsoft is adding brand new features to Teams, including using AI to digitally create a shared background and make visit and make video call participants feel as though they are sitting in the same room. And Facebook still has sights on becoming an internet service provider. The latest experiment, a robot that can install fiber optic cables on top of power lines already in place. Wow, some really interesting tidbits there. Yeah. And a lot of it geared towards communication in this post-COVID-19 world, I guess. The first one that you mentioned of Live View with Google, they announced mm. it two years ago at their conference. Mm. And I've been actually kind of looking forward to it, you know, where you can do grab your phone, point your phone in the direction of travel, and it brings additional information from Google Maps and, and the likes. And when they announced it, it was, it was such a, a big thing. And two years on, they're still just about to release it. So I don't know, did they announce it too early, Roger, or just because it's so complex that they had to wait a bit longer? I'm not sure, Pascal. Was it originally designed to go with the, the Google Glasses? 
so effectively they were going to try and superimpose almost like a heads-up display as you walk down the street you'd get that AR information maybe it was just the fact that the Google glasses didn't work as well as they thought they would and and secondly as you say it's just such a mass of information and and it's just taken them longer than they thought to get it out there in live so but the demonstration was great i mean people were so impressed I mean, literally if you go somewhere that you don't know a city in particular you know it's like you know you you, you bring google maps you look down and you're just not sure which which way to go you would be able to point your phone down a street and it would tell you whether or not you're, you're going in the right direction and, and add supplementary information with little vignettes and, and labels from, uh, from Google Maps. So, no, I, I think it's, um, it's, it's, it's a great thing. Uh, and my other reaction to, to the news that you've shared, Roger, is around this um, WP WordPress engine survey about Generation <laughs> Z and, you know, their willingness to trade with brands who uh, are in business for good. I sometimes wonder, Roger, whether we don't, and I mean this kindly, we don't give Generation Z a bit too much um, credit and mm -hmm. too many qualities because I would argue that all generation would want to deal with a business who is behaving in a way that is honest and ethical. Yeah, I think you're right. There's a lot talked about brands having causes now, isn't there? Mm. And And sometimes I just think, Sometimes some brands seem to just jump onto the latest bandwagon and, you know, it's almost like a soundbite or a, a way of getting some instant PR. But the reality is all brands should be thinking of how they can be ethical, how they can look, look after their customers, how they can look after the environment, and yes, how they can support various causes. But do it because it's what you want to be. It, it's part of your mission, if you like. It's part of your vision, as opposed to just seeing it as another opportunity to grab some headlines. Because I think as we've seen in the, in the, in the COVID crisis, people who've jumped onto the bandwagon without thinking it through, I think they've damaged their brands to a certain extent. They have, and, and, and that's going to continue to do so. Mm. So lots of interesting stuff on the news. I think it's probably time to move on to this week's content spotlights. You know, this is rapidly becoming one of my favourite parts of the show. <laughs> Um, in addition to talking about films, which we're going to do um, a little bit later on. But this is where you and I pick a piece of content, and that could be an article from an online magazine or even a print magazine. It could be a podcast, could be a video. And we just discuss it and, and dig out the marketing issues and the marketing topics. So, Pascal, what have you got for us this week? Well, I've got a video, actually, Roger, uh, this mm. week. I know that in previous episodes, I kind of confessed my love of long-form content, written content, but this time, it's a video. Let me give you a bit of context. So, about a week or two ago, I was talking to a, a business acquaintance of mine who is uh, having to bring their conference online, as many organizers have had to do. So, uh, I offered to have a coffee and a chat and just kind of say, well, this is what I think I understand now about creating an online experience, taking, you know, the physical event to online 
And in funny kind of way, Roger, it was almost similar to uh, the recent podcast you published where mm. I, I gave um, Andrew, is his name, an account of, well, this is uh, from the simple webinar all the way to the virtual conference and virtual summit. And it was literally like a, a major brain dump. And as he listened, he said, you know what? What you're telling me reminds me of a video that I saw recently. So he sent me a link to this video. Now, there's a chap called Marcus John Henry Brown. How's that for a wonderful SEO name? If you Googled, you can't be confused with somebody else. Marcus John Henry Brown is a stage performer who hacks business conferences. These are his own words, Roger. And he started a um, small series, quality vlog, if you will, called Tiny Talks. And in his very first one, the title is quite simply, Make Better Virtual Keynotes or Virtual Presentation. And it's a four or five minute video really well crafted as you would expect from someone like him who is very uh, extravagant and, and, and with much gusto and, and passion. But some of the statements and sayings really connected with me, connected with a thing with the podcast that you and I are, are doing here together. And what he's arguing and he's kind of warning presenters, he's warning kind of uh, you know, keynoters that you are now, you've now become a pixel being. That people are going to be consuming your content and get to know you and connect with you via essentially small screens, you know, small mobile phones uh, and, and the likes. And that in a way your performance, because you are using video, is, needs to become film, film-like. Mm. And mm. I know that, you know, it's, it's kind of uh, preaching to the convert, but I thought, let, let, me, let me kind of delve into that. And what he's saying is that despite the fact that it may be easier to convey a message because you don't have to travel, you don't have to go on stage. There isn't, if you like, you know, all the AV complexity of a live event. It's a be careful. Don't mistaken that for something that doesn't require as much, if not more, preparation. So he talks about a three-stage approach to become film-like of right, then craft the, the, um, the content, and then really improve your performance. He's arguing that to become film-like, to be that pixel being, you have to give 20% more of your energy and and kind of uh, projection, if you like, of your ideas via the small screen. Is also arguing that a, a new skill that one has to develop is to learn to work with a camera. Mm. Because of course, when you're on stage, or if you're in a small room, if you're presenting at a small business event, it doesn't have to be necessarily large scale, then you have to learn to work with a camera. And this is a new skill. And you have to practice, practice, and practice. But essentially, the context has changed in his argument. And if you want to make a better virtual keynote, accept that you are a pixel being and try and provide a performance that is film-like. This is this is just great stuff, isn't it? And you're absolutely right. And this is a coincidence. Last week's marketing and finance podcast that I put out was a solo show. And I, and I was actually relaying some of the experiences I've had during lockdown, uh, taking part in as a delegate to online conferences, being a speaker at online conferences, and, and even being a producer for an online conference. And a lot of what Marcus is saying is is absolutely spot on. And, and I love his videos. They're short, sharp to the point, but he intersperses it with graphics. There's a little bit of jump cutting that going on there. So it, it is, it feels like a 
a TV production, uh, and I really like that. And this video, th this uh, conference that I was involved with producing recently was called Protect X. It was a financial services conference. Um, part of it was pre-recorded and part of it was broadcast. Well, actually, the whole thing was broadcast live, but part of it was pre-recorded broadcast live, if that makes sense. And what we wanted to try to do was to create the illusion with the audience that it was all done live, even though some of it was pre-recorded. And and the feedback that we got from this online event was phenomenal. I, you know, I'm, I'm still getting people tweeting me now and using the hashtag nearly two weeks on. And, and some of the people in the feedback said, this was so well rehearsed, it came across so well. And I'm thinking, you didn't spot it, did you? You didn't spot it that it was some of it was pre-recorded. And that comes right back to what Marcus is saying. You can't go on video and wing it. You know, I guess there's maybe there's that temptation, or oh, I'm not stood on a stage, I've not got a great big um, audience in front of me that I can see, so I'll have my notes pinned up on the side of the computer and I can refer to them. Well, well, you wouldn't do that in a keynote presentation. You, you might not have memorised the script word for word, but you'd know what you were going to say and you would have rehearsed it and rehearsed it and blocked it out. Well, you have to do that on video as well. So great, great. No, thanks. I thought you, you might like, like it, this um, Roger. So, well, what have you got for me this week? Well, I'm diving back into Marketing Week magazine. And Mar Marketing Week magazine has a couple of uh, high-profile um, columnists. We've already talked about Mark Ritson on one of the early episodes of Two Geeks in a and a marketing podcast. This week, I want to tell you about an article written by Helen Edwards. Now, she's absolutely no relation to me whatsoever. And actually, the headline of this article is a little misleading. The headline says, don't expect a slogan to make your brand famous. But, but I actually think that the sub-editors of this magazine have actually just played a little bit too much with the headline, because when you dive into the article, what she's actually saying is, a slogan can make you famous. But the difficulty is that there's so much stuff going on these days, and everybody is trying to craft slogans, they're trying to craft strap lines, they're trying to craft hashtags, they're trying to come up with titles that work with SEO, they're trying to come up with YouTube titles that resonate with people. So, you know, whereas 20 or 30 years ago, the the strap lines and the advertising slogans that a lot of us grew up with, like four mash, get smash, and um, only the crumbliest, flakiest chocolate, you know, that sort of thing that, that almost ingrained themselves on the minds of a generation. Today, it's so much harder to put together a, a slogan that's going to stand out because everybody's trying to do it, Pascal. You know, even, even the government are getting into this now, aren't they? Like, get Brexit done, stay home, protect the NHS, NHS save lives, that sort of thing. Everywhere is a slogan. Uh, and what Helen's saying is, it's so much harder to stand out now. But if you can work with your creative people, if you can work with your agency and your marketing team and, and the salespeople as well, if, if possible, it's absolutely worth putting the time in to come up with that slogan. Because if you nail it, if you come up with the next Formash Get Smash or whatever it might be, that is your ability to break through all that noise that's out there. And, and if you can crack a slogan... 
and weave it into the, your brand essence, you, you could stand out for years and years. You know, it's a long game to get to the slogan, but once you've got there, it's, it's got staying power. I'm really pleased you, you, you bring that article up because it reminds us as well of the key essentials of your kind of marketing toolkit or marketing and comms toolkit. And mm. I think all too often people will always go back to or the default position in today's economy is to find a digital tool or to find, mm. you know, again, a hack or a trick, as I've mentioned mm -hmm. in previous episode. And I think there are some fundamentals and some essentials that um, we need to revisit, we need to go back to, because A, they, they've been around much longer, I think they've proven themselves a lot more than the recent uh, clever things you can do on, on Instagram, but also it's the impact on the um, the employees that I always kind of look at now. If an organization you know, kind of nails it, as you mentioned a moment ago, the positive impact and the ripple effect across the organization is also one that you can look forward to beyond, if you like, the engagement with your current and future prospects. I also wonder whether the slogan could be something um, audible or visual, um, mm -hmm. Roger. You know, I'm thinking, for example, a, a recent research exercise. It was a simple one, but someone put on, on video, on YouTube, sorry, videos of the um, opening gambit, the two, three seconds of, for example, um, streaming services and say, you know, if you don't watch the the image, but you've listened to the sound, you'll know that's a Netflix um, kickoff kind of slogan or an Amazon Prime or, and if I'm wondering also whether um, nowadays, as well as the, the crafting of the words, there's layers around sound and vision. Mm. I think I think that that would work. I mean, it's all part of the brand toolkit, isn't it? Um, but I think one of the things that Helen is saying is that if you were to immediately think, what is the most recognisable marketing slogan? It's likely that you're going to immediately think of one that was quite a few years back. You know, I'm thinking something like Domestos kills all known germs dead. Now, they still use that slogan today, but it's about 30 years old, maybe even longer. So maybe that's something that the listeners could do, uh, people watching the show, listening to the show. What is the marketing slogan that springs to mind immediately, just without really thinking about it? Is it a modern one, like Nike, just do it? Or is it an older one, mm. like Domestos? I think you might be quite surprised how old the slogans are, but that just reinforces the fact that if you put the work in to come up with something new, Imagine coming up with something new that then had 20 to 30 years worth of staying power. It's worth the effort, I think. It is. Fantastic. So, again, I, I, you know, finding some really, really interesting articles here, Pascal, and some really interesting content. This, As I say, this is, this is turning out to be one of my favourite parts of the show. But now I think we should move on to marketing tech and apps. In this section of the show, we each pick two or three apps or pieces of tech from the marketing world that we'd like to discuss and highlight, which we found useful or we just think fantastic or exciting or just new enough to highlight on the show. So, Pascal, you're in the hot seat first. What are your two pieces of tech or apps this week? So I've chosen two apps that can help you tech things out. And I'm going to explain in a moment. So the first one I want to kind of give a, a little kind of plug to is called unscreen.com. 
screen as in movie screen than un unscreen.com is, is having humble beginnings we've got they've got big plans and what would you imagine a situation where you have recorded maybe a a video maybe a short video and the background behind you is just not very nice a bit of a clutter or maybe the image or the the colors are, are kind of clashing this app allows you to remove the background using ai to essentially detect who, where you are and where you stand Imagine that you're going to be cut out and almost recreate the effect of a green screen. So it will remove the background um, for you, Roger, but then you can add a color, solid color. You can leave it white, of course, or you can add some branded and so on and so forth. So at the moment, because it's in beta, they are allowing you to do like a, a GIF or a GIF, choose your spelling. And that can become a lovely little meme that you can put on social media to give maybe a longer form content, a bit of a um, shout out and so on. But I did a test. I have to tell you, it worked incredibly well. So that's just the beta version. The pro version, the promise be able to do a full kind of vlogs um, recording or something like that, where they will literally remove the um, the background. And I can think of many instances where Many of us right now working from home or we're not working in ideal kind of environment. And sometimes the background, it is what it is. You can't quite you know, do something with it. So to remove it could be very helpful. So unscreen.com, I think, is worth paying attention to as they continue to grow and develop the, the app. The second one is about removing again, but this one is about removing sound. So there's an app called Crisp, spelled K-R-I-S-P. ISP. As you know, if you do an app, you have to misspell the name. So crisp.ia <laughs> allows you to remove background noise. Now, I've done some tests and again, very impressed. And not just a noise, forgive me, of a, a normal room, but conversation, dog barking, uh, people talking and so on and so forth. It would learn from you. It would learn, you know, what to remove. And, and again, allow you maybe to produce some better audio content moving forward. And I can see where this is going, which is again by this idea of people having to work very, very differently, not always having full control of the environment, whether it's visually or um, orally, and to have those little additional kind of um, apps to into your toolkit could make a big difference. So unscreen.com and crisp.ai. Very interesting, especially like the unscreen idea. And and it's amazing how this technology is just getting better by the day, isn't it, Pascal? Mm-hmm. Because, you know, e- even a few few months ago, the, the Zoom background, unless you had a green screen, it, it was actually quite dodgy, wasn't it? It made it look like you were in an episode of 1970s Doctor <laughs> Who with some dodgy colour separation overlay or chroma key, as, as they call it. But you know, just just these little tweaks, and and, and it's almost flawless. It, it's it's incredible to see the advancements in just a few months mm, right. as we've had to adapt to this new world. So, I wanted to draw your attention this week to Restream.io. Now, the reason I'm highlighting Restream is is almost is almost to compare it to an extremely heavy duty and very quite expensive equivalent. Now, I mentioned earlier in the show that I was involved in producing something called ProtectX. It was an online conference which was broadcast live. And I was privileged to work with a production company and they had the industrial pro version of Wirecast. Now, Wirecast is a, you know, it's a TV production grade broadcasting 
piece of software. Extremely intuitive, lots of options to allow you to mix vi mix the vision, mix the uh, mix graphics, mix scenes, overlay. You know, it can do this the uh, the green screen and all of that sort of thing. But but you're talking about close to a thousand pounds for the full version plus an ongoing annual fairly hefty fee. Now, most of us who want to do live streaming aren't going to be able to afford to buy and maintain something like Wirecast. But Restream, which is effectively a browser-based broadcasting platform, I'm actually quite surprised by how quickly they're integrating quite a lot of the features that you would find on something as industrial strength as Wirecast. And I was lucky enough a while back to, and I think it was our friend Richard Tubb that uh, pointed us in the direction of this, was to, was to get an early sort of lifetime license to use Restream. And they just keep adding features and they just keep, you know, a, a few months ago, they added the ability to bring guests in. Only this week, they've added the ability to queue up uh, video snippets or audio snippets that you could use as stings between scenes and you could just queue them up in the timeline and and it's just developing by the day so anybody who is interested in live streaming maybe even you just want to test the water rather than invest into a massively expensive although incredibly good piece of software like wirecast try restream.io as an alternative the second piece of tech that I wanted to highlight is something that I've actually been using for three years now, and it's called Day One Pascal. I guess you would probably describe it as a journaling app. So if, as, as the name would suggest, you go in every day and you add photos, you add your daily diary, I guess, or your, um, your affirmation, whatever it might be. What I've been using Day One for in addition to saving my photographs and saving my diary events and all of those sort of things, is to record ideas for stories. Because as we all know, stories are so good in a marketing environment, whether you're telling a brand story, whether you're telling an individual personal brand story, or you're just telling a story to family, family or friends. It's always good to note down ideas for stories as they occur to you, because of things that are happening in your day-to-day -day life. And I just find this app, it's on the phone at the end of the day, quarter to nine, nine o'clock at night, flip it open, day one, type, 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 photo, 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 story idea, close it, takes five, 10 minutes tops. And I've been doing it for three years now. So if, and every day it reminds you of the last years worth, the last year's uh, worth of um, content. So now every day I get to see what I was doing and the photos and the story ideas from the last three years. So I'm absolutely loving day one. And I, I, sorry, Pascal, I want to do a very, very quick shout out. This is the third piece of tech and it's a big piece of tech and it's not a marketing piece of tech, but I'm quite upset about it. So I'm going to talk about it anyway. <laughs> I just saw in the news over the last few days that British Airways, regrettably, as a result of the COVID-19 crisis, is with immediate effect going to retire its entire fleet of Boeing 747 jumbo jets. I'm quite upset about that. Maybe not as upset as when Concorde disappeared, but what an amazing aircraft the 747 is. I've, I've flown on it many, many times. Luckily, I've tried first class, business class, 
premium economy and economy experienced all the facets of the 747 and it's a remarkable aircraft a remarkable piece of technology and i'll be very sad to see it leave the skies it does feel like the end of an era uh, interestingly the day we were recording this video podcast and audio podcast it was covered by the news and it was a whole segment in uh, on the BBC Radio 2 program and people were ringing from all generation, including the very first pilot who actually flew the aircraft, the very first wow. aircraft, and his um, his account of what he, how special it felt at the time. And and I think it's also it's it's linked, isn't it, to the to kind of the British psyche about conquering the skies. And, and I think uh, there's a lot go, uh, going on on that. So. Let's see what the new generation of aircraft is going to be like, but it does feel as though, you know, it would be a, a big miss in terms of that, that image and that experience of being a traveler. When I think about you, what you mentioned, you know, Restream and Day One, I'm, I'm, make, I'm making um, a link here, I'm joining the dots for you. Because when we go back to the earlier comment that made about being a, a pixel being and making mm. things film like, and you've got your mm. right craft form. And ultimately, when I think about the, the habits and behavior of filmmakers, they're always coming up with ideas that they jot down on the pad or with pen and paper or with, with their kind of touchscreen and, and finger. And I think there's a link between day one and restream, as I, I make it in my head, which is ultimately the barriers to entries have been removed time and time again. I think you're right. Listening to what you said about restream, goodness, I mean, you literally now between one or two of you can really produce something quite uh, exciting that would have been mm. beyond our, our reach from a budget point of view, but also from a skill and technology point of view. Now, you know, with your laptop, what you can do. So so the ba the battleground really is about who's going to have the best idea, who's going to come yeah. up with the best format, the, the vision for their programming. Um, as you know, when I do the um, webinars on content marketing, I do make analogies with radio programming, TV programming, and filmmaking because I say, you know, these are the individuals whose job it is to come up with an idea. It's like Steven Spielberg who says, you know, my job is to dream, <laughs> then come up, <laughs> come up with, with ideas and so on. And uh, Ridley Scott saying, my job is to create worlds. And, and I think with regard to the maturation process of content marketing and live streaming, it won't be whether or not you're good at the tech. I think that would be taken for for granted it's whether or not you've engaged your brain sufficiently to create that virtual experience because your idea was better that that's going to be a think and and that's not new that's been the case as i mentioned a moment ago to for radio tv and, and more so using day one to be you know where you put the ideas down and let them mature and then using restream to execute i love by the way the reminder uh, feature of day one I wish probably um, some of what I'm using would have that. Um, mm. I mean, do you still use sometimes pen and paper? I mean, I still have pads and, and not pads oh, yeah. everywhere around the house. Absolutely right. My problem is I tend to lose the pieces of paper afterwards. <laughs> but uh, there, you, but there you go. But no, it, it's almost it's almost like an incubator. And as you say, if you can come up with better ideas and preferably different ideas, and then put them onto that platform, then you're really going to stand out. You're really going to stand out. Pascal, I think it's time, and there's probably a link here by talking about the 747, which was launched in 1969, I think it was originally flew. Let's head back in time and look at this week in history. 
So let's get into this week in history. In July 1960, and I really like this, I didn't know this, in France, a handheld toy with the name The Magic Screen goes on sale. It was a huge success, and years later, the device became known as the Etch-A-Sketch. I always used to love playing with the knobs and drawing something, and then all you had to do is shake it and the image would completely disappear. I did not know that, Roger. That's a big surprise to me. <laughs> well, listen, can you believe that? 50 years ago, the Apollo 11 mission blasted off. On board, Neil Armstrong, Buzz Aldrin and Michael Collins. To know what happened, you have to wait till next week. Oof, I think we can all guess. I think we can all guess. <laughs> Over 40 years ago... 11th of July 1979, the first pictures of the surface of Mars were sent by NASA's spacecraft Mariner 4. Roger, you're going to love this one. On the 9th of July 1981, the world was introduced to two characters, Donkey Kong and Mario. Universal Studios sued Nintendo, stating that the game infringed their King Kong trademark, and they lost. I didn't know that. They lost Kong. Kong, you would have thought that they would have had a fighting chance of winning that one. In July 1982, the movie Tron is released in the USA by Walt Disney Productions. State-of-the-art computer animations and graphics were created for this film using a staggering two megabytes of memory. 30 years ago, Roger, again, Nintendo released the most successful role-playing game franchises of all times, Final Fantasy. 25 years ago, 6th of July 1995, IBM completes the takeover of Lotus Development, hoping to challenge the dominance of Microsoft Excel with the Lotus 123 product. Goodness gracious, I can remember using Lotus 123 when I first got an office job back in the late 80s. Likewise, but then finally, Roger, 14 years ago, July 2006, a San Francisco-based podcasting company called Audio launches a small microblogging project which later was known as Twitter. Ah, again, <laughs> I'm learning new stuff every time we do this podcast. And these are historical events and historical facts. And I didn't know half of those. Well, that's at the heart of this segment. You know, Yen, I mentioned, you know, in the launch episode that things move on so quickly that sometimes you forget. But also, sometimes something happens and you want to know, well, what was the trigger event from 10, 20, 50, 100 years ago that led to all this? But it's kind of fascinating what's happened there. There was a lot of space op um, exploration going on here, a lot of, um, kind of video games, audio. Um, did you ever play the Final Fantasy franchise? I, I've played pretty much every game that there is. Um, Final Fantasy, loved it. Um, I like the role-playing games. You know, I was brought up on things like Dungeons and Dragons, Traveller, RuneQuest, uh, and, and Fighting Fantasy was almost like a synthesis of quite a lot of those genres, wasn't it? And of course, role-playing games is having a major, major renaissance for the last two, three years now. So I wouldn't be surprised if all those games are being remastered for you know current consoles. Although it's hard to keep up because, I mean, I've got the PS4, but I've heard that the PS5 is coming up. And I'm wondering what's <laughs> going to happen to my library um, of games. So um, there we are. But yeah, you know, the um, Apple 11. Yeah, it's not, you know, it's July 69. They spent eight days in space from memory. Yeah, must have been, yeah. and and the, the the famous thing about the um, operating system in the shuttle is probably nowhere near what your mobile phone could do. Um, these these were real 
this was real exploration. This is like mm-hmm. people exploring the jungles of different continents, you know, two, three centuries ago. I mean, if someone said to you, hey, Roger, would you like to go on, you know, in space or even, you know, would you like to fly with an aircraft that has a computer system that is pretty much, you know, um, good enough to just run your watch? You know, that's just, uh, <laughs> you wouldn't do it, would you? <laughs> you wouldn't, you wouldn't. But, I mean, you think about all the fail-safe mechanisms. I mean, we've mentioned Boeing 747s. Think of a more modern airliner like an A320. Think of all the fail-safes, triple-fail-safes, quadruple-fail-safes that they have built into their flight management computers compared to what was running the Apollo mission was something like 6K or something like that of memory. It's, It's just unbelievable it's just unbelievable i think it's time to move on to the next part of the show which is our creator shout outs so creator shout outs this is where we shout out one or two of people from our community our friends and from across the world we focus in on a piece of content that they've put together so pascal who have you got in the firing line for us this week so this week i was inspired by format and doing things a bit differently so to begin with i've got nicole osborne and tiana wilson by so there was like uh, two of them kind of q a took a, a duet and they went ahead with an instagram video called sweet tips for increasing your focus and productivity so as you can expect lots of good advice a lot of practical advice particularly in current climate but what i liked about it was the format they truly embrace the vertical screen so what they had if you can imagine nicole was the host and tiana was the uh, the guest and for memory, yeah, um, Nicole was at the bottom of the screen, bottom half, and Tiana was at the top half. And literally, you were watching the, the Q&A, which was about 10 minutes, using vertical screen. And I just liked the way they put the effort into embracing that format. And because, you know, you would imagine the editing and everything else that came with it would have been just a bit more a pro- a tricky than our preferred format of landscape screens. So I just wanted to give them uh, a quick shout out. The next one, which is again about format and also doing something a bit more daring, comes from Joe Cameron and Beverly Sherratt. They work for a company called Launchpad Associates, specialized in HR and people management and productivity. Now, um, Joe Cameron actually contracted the COVID-19 virus and was off work for a very long time. She's back at work and she's doing very well, we're all pleased to say. But actually, she wrote a very personal article, blog post, where she explained what it has meant to her. And she's saying that there's a lesson in there, particularly for employers, which is that until such time you had the misfortune of contracting the virus and having to deal with uh, the effects of the virus, you will not know. And therefore, two things. Of course, keep your employers and employees safe. But if they tell you that they are struggling, if they tell you that you know things or the return to work is, um, is, is a challenge, do pay attention and listen. And the article she wrote was, employers, don't let coronavirus become the new ME which is something that we don't understand. It's still new to us. I mean, just recently, Roger, you'll know that there's now uh, talked about side effects. So you can recover from the virus, but there's still things that stay with you that affects your concentration, uh, your your kind of uh, where you can function and so on. 
And it was two things. It was just the fact that it was a very sincere blog post, but actually reminded me that's how blogging was began and was all about Roger, which is for someone to give a sincere account of an event and see what, how others can learn from it as opposed to how it's been hijacked sometime by content marketing. So there you have it. That was a Instagram video using a vertical screen to its full and one that took blogging back to its source. That's interesting what you said about don't let coronavirus become the new ME. You know, you know about my past association with the financial services industry in the United Kingdom. ME for a long time was something that life insurance companies wouldn't recognize as a legitimate condition. Right. You know, they just wouldn't recognize it. They just said people who have it are, that you know, they're swinging the lead. They're just lazy. And, and of course, we know that's absolutely not the case. And it's actually a genuine chronic illness that you can have for a very long time. Um, now, obviously, COVID's got a much higher profile because of the crisis. But, you know, we should never forget that those people who are taking a long time to recover from this could be experiencing very similar long-term symptoms. And I think it's it's really well worth highlighting that. So should, should, I, should I tell you about my Please. creator shout-outs? Okay, first one is Vicky Taylor. Now, I've known Vicky from uh, social media, particularly Facebook and Instagram, for quite a few years now, and, and, and often um, have, have chats via, via video. She is a marketer, but she focuses mainly on the, the hospitality industry, so especially hotels and resorts. And, and she's just put together this really interesting paper, which is available via her email list. And it's, and it's got the intriguing title of Theme Park Thinking. Now, as you know, I grew up in Blackpool, and Blackpool is has one of the, the best theme parks in the entire world, Blackpool Pleasure Beach. It's almost like a, a living museum of fairground and theme park rides, roller coasters and ghost trains and that sort of thing. And, and I've been following Blackpool Pleasure Beach's experience with dealing with the COVID. Everything comes back to COVID at the moment, doesn't it? But how they've had to deal with social distancing in that environment, you know, with people on roller coasters and and Vicky's Vicky's theme park thinking is an incredibly uh interesting and inspirational look at the lessons that we can learn from what theme parks are having to think about to respond to opening up again after covid so well worth checking that out if if you've ever been to a theme park blackpool pleasure beach alton towers thought park flamingo land whatever it might be and you'll be interested in this just just have a look at vicky's uh, paper it's, it's great second one um and this is this is coming back to something we said earlier on about the pronunciation of huawei uh lady that I met at a conference in Montenegro. She's called Elise Cuvado. Um, she lives in the UK, but she's originally from Spain. And she is actually one of the brand ambassadors for Huawei. And she's been doing a series of vlog interviews with their chief digital transformation officer. Now, I know there's a lot of difficulty with this brand at the moment. You know, the UK government on the one hand back in January saying, it will allow them to participate in 5G. Now it's saying that they're going to have to be 
stripped out of 5G by the year 2027. And there's a lot of people who think that, that you know, that there's implications on China spying on us and using our data for immoral purposes. But if you can strip all of that back, if you can avoid looking at the political stuff and and the technological data stuff and just listen to the pure conversations about customer focus and using data to give customers a great experience, then what Elise has been doing here with her vlog series is really well worth having a listen to. Thanks for that. And and I think you're right, you know, as marketers and communicators, we can certainly be mightily aware of the political, economical, societal uh, kind of challenges and dimensions to what we do. But to keep ourselves informed, to keep an open mind and so on is part of our traits. And and yes, um, at this moment in time, China as a brand is having some real challenges and, and battles, almost uh, I was saying to um, Denise this morning, my wife, it feels like, you know, the new Cold War. It's not mm. Russia this time, it's China, where there's always a reason to uh, to be concerned and, and complain. And, and by all means, we must go in, into this with our, op- with our eyes open, which is that the majority of the claims are very, very valid. But um, Huawei in the UK, I didn't know that, Roger, but has been trading and has been in, in position for quite some years now. This is this is a name that we've heard of more recently as as consumers, but in terms of their contribution to technology and so on, it's been around for a while. Which is why, as you know, the uh, the operators have been told you've got you know the next seven to ten years to remove the presence of Huawei into the uh, to the networks and more because of uh, the, the, their presence. And I, and I think if we can then uh, go past that and 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 just take on board. Uh, the, the, the reflection, the conclusions of practitioners, then I think that, that there's some value in that. Absolutely right. Pascal, it's almost time for my second favourite part of the show. And I'm sure that this will alternate between my favourite and my second favourite. We're going to get into film marketing next. Well, Pascal, I've been looking forward so much to discussing this next film. In fact, we did we did mention it in passing in one of the earlier episodes of Two Geeks in a Marketing Podcast, and it is Back to the Future, which was the highest grossing movie from 1985. Now, Back to the Future is probably one of my all-time favourite films. It's a it's it's got good comedy, it's got good action, there's a bit of romance in it, there's science fiction fantasy and and the time travel element i i love movies that have an element of time travel in them anyway so things like terminator uh, the day of the daleks episodes of doctor who all have those time paradoxes but but back to the future just brought it all together into one just superb amazingly entertaining package and I still can't believe that this film is 35 years old coming up. Because if you watch it today, and, and I have to say we tend to watch it most Christmas mornings, it just feels like that sort of film to watch on Christmas morning. It, it, it's as fresh as it was when it was first made, Pascal. Absolutely. Yeah. Like you, we have a ritual. Um, I would say it's once a year, at no particular time of the year, but we watch the actual trilogy. I've got the uh, DVD, now Blu-ray box set. I just buy it. Um, 
for me, it's kind of proudly on the shelf alongside Star Wars and many others. And you're right. I think it was a surprise hit. The um, It was almost approached like an indie movie. Uh, you had uh, Robert Zemeckis and Bob Gale wrote it. Uh, it was um, directed by Robert Zemeckis against the wishes of the studios at the time. But uh, we need to be careful that it doesn't turn into a film review. <laughs> but actually, this is about film marketing. So with that in mind, what I will say to you is my interest to discuss is how in 1985 you would have marketed a film without the internet. So we had the trailer, of course, you had the official Back to the Future tour where fans could meet and discuss. You had the press kind of coverage, but also, I would argue, early version of influencer marketing because Robert Zemeckis and Bob Gale cleverly asked Steven Spielberg to be the exact producer. Now, mm. of course, he brought uh, with him, you know, his savvy in terms of filmmaking and so on, but I'm sure he had a big influence in the way in which he was made and marketed. I would also remind you, which is, I think, a lesson for all of us in this, in this virtual settings of audio and video, that Universal Studios were the distributors, but it was made independently by a group of people, including uh, Steven Spielberg. But the studios, when they actually got the movie f finished print, they didn't know what it was. They said, well, what is it? Is it, is it a sci-fi movie, but there's not enough violence and, and spaceships? Is it a comedy, but it's not really laugh-out-loud comedy? Is it risque? Um, because back then you had a big drive around uh, things like uh, Revenge of the Nerds and, and you know, that <laughs> type of movies of boys chasing girls and so on. The studios didn't know how to market it as well. So the best they could come up with was, you know, the scene where, uh, well, it's actually a big segment of the movie where um, Marty McFly's mother kind of falls for him, creating yeah. and kind of secondary story about how he has to obviously uh, uh, make amends. So when he was first released, the, the strap line on the posters, because Universal Studios thought, well, this is a comedy, let's align it with the other comedies that we produced and launched. The strap line was, are you telling me my mother's got the hots for me? This was a strap line <laughs> for Back in the yeah. Future. Needless to say, that was quickly put to one side and removed with, with what we know now. But um, yeah, what what a success. I mean, look, you've got you know the, the story, you've got the car, you've got the songs, you've got the musical score, you've got this kind of uh, nostalgia of 1955 Americana, and so on and so forth. But when it comes to marketing, I was looking at an interview that Bob Gale gave for the 30th anniversary of Back to the Future when they did the, the box sets and so on. And he did say they were really nervous it was released in just a small number of cinemas as it was due in July, kind of um, 1985. And by the second weekend, people were queuing up, very much like they did back in the days of Star Wars. And Bob Gale put it down to just word of mouth because they had nothing else. And it was until the movie became a success that the real marketing kind of machine um, kicked in. And do you know what, Pascal? I was at university in 1985, and I remember it was just everybody was talking about Back to the Future. Everybody wanted to go and see it. It had such a buzz about it, even though it we didn't have digital, we didn't have the internet. Now, I was at university, as I said, and I remember there being there was posters up in the university union uh, saying, let's go to the cinema in groups to see this film. So the, they were, I suppose that was an early equivalent of a watch party, wasn't it? <laughs> um, and and the, I always used to, very close to Leeds University, there was a, one of the early Forbidden Planet shops. And, and of course, they had the posters up 
for weeks and weeks before. And I remember it being on in the comics that I was reading at the time, 2000 AD and stuff like that. So for, somehow, even in those days, they managed to create a massive amount of anticipation around this film so that you were absolutely desperate to go and see it. And, and as you say, when you actually did go to the cinema, they were queuing around the corner. They were queuing around the corner. So I think it was just, just a remarkable piece of marketing it, for the It day. was. And, and you think about it, it had its own... Um artwork, the typography or Back to the Future is very, very unique, you know, the photography and so on and so forth. But I think there, there were some iconic um, images that stay with you, you know, the car, the um, everything else that, that, that kind of comes in, the way in which Martin McFly was dressed, Doc Brown, and the way he, he, he acted. I mean, I just love, you know, the, the, his performance. Everything was just carefully, carefully crafted. And again, because of uh, Bob Geller and Robert Zemeckis coming from an independent kind of production and they just knew how to pay attention to those the small details and here we are 35 years later talking about it and what is interesting about the Back to the Future kind of brand now and, and what it signifies is how that it's been taken over by well we know that um, there's a, a musical, a stage show, um, Back mm-hmm. to the Future. They did have an attempt at a animated series in the early 90s with uh, the actors, you know, kind of doing the, the voiceover. But then countless reference in TVs and, and movies of today where there's always little nod you know, to, to, to that to that movie. But what is fascinating, and again, it could be another lesson for all content creators out there, is that the script, which wasn't really changed you know, by the time they finished the, the, the film, the script was rejected for. 44 times, <laughs> including Walt Disney Studios, who thought it was too risque, was um, Universal Studios thought it wasn't risque enough. And it was just that. And back to Robert Zemeckis and Bob Gale, they didn't change the, the, the script. They, didn't, they believed in the product and story so much that they continued and continued. And I think perseverance is also part of what you need to think about as a content creator. But also when something's a little different, you will get pushbacks because you don't, you don't fit in. You know, Walt Disney, Universal could not make it fit like the other movies that they knew how to market. Absolutely right. And do you know what? We were talking earlier on about marketing slogans and strap lines you know so much of the dialogue in back to the future is is quotable and people remember that great scott oh my god doc this is heavy uh <laughs> 2.21 gigawatts or is it 1.21 it gigawatts? i can't remember yes. you know the flux capacitor all of these things that they're, they're part of our everyday language and, and another thing i love about back to the future is that over the years as well stuff's trickled out like you know they shot more or less the entire movie with a different actor eric stoltz and, and unfortunately eric is a phenomenally good character actor but he didn't really have the comedic timing mm. that they wanted for back to the future so they reshot the whole thing with michael j fox now can you imagine doing that you know effectively making the film twice but that was the conviction that they had that it had to have that certain combination of of scripting and actors and and and, and all those memes that we've come to know and and the other thing of course now is that there's loads of outtakes that you can find on the internet some of which 
they deliberately created. There's one I, I see where where Marty is dressed up as a as a sort of um, drug dealing gangster, wandering round the wandering round the school, peering through the doors. You know, they 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 actually orchestrated that potentially with the just knowing that one day they could let these things drizzle drizzle out into into internet land and and, and effectively keep the brand going. If we think back about the creation of of the film and hailings to to market, which is take position, create a language, create a visual language, take some risk and and believe in yourself. So, for example, rule number one, if you remember, we can only watch it every Christmas, there is no opening credits. Mm Mm-hmm. The movie starts mm-hmm. pretty much inside Doc Brown's uh, houses. We, we assume with all the clocks and so on. Whereas normally you would have the music to kind of ra- you know raise your emotions and, and get you excited. You would have the names and so on. So again, it's back to this idea of yes, there is a, a way and a format that is accepted right now out there. But if you come up with a, an idea, it doesn't have to be better. But if it's an idea that you you feel like you want to explore fully. Take that risk. Many have taken risks before you, and it's really paid off. And I do think that that's why, one of the reasons why this film is successful is not because they listen to Universal, not because they listen to Walt Disney, but because the creators, the storytellers, just knew that they had something. And with patience, as well as you know, good and kind of skill set, they got what they wanted. Absolutely. And again, I don't know whether it was planned... But, you know, when they made the second film, Back to the Future 2, and part of that was set in 2015. (laughs) Uh, And, and of course, we've been and gone past 2015. And there was another marketing opportunity for the studio to effectively relaunch the Blu-ray and DVD. And obviously the, the, um, the amazing thing to compare the predictions that they made for things like hoverboards and, and uh, you know, self-closing jackets and self-closing uh, training shoes. That was a great opportunity for people to compare what Back to the Future predicted with the reality that it turned out to be. And I think that quite a lot of the things that they predicted did come to pass, apart from the hoverboards, unfortunately. That was the biggest disappointment, but you're right. Yeah. In 21st of October 2015, I, I, I don't know of anyone that didn't actually jump on the Back to the Future day. From Bing Brands to vloggers and bloggers and fans of the film, I even have uh, someone that I know in Durham who was dressed as Marty McFly and was doing um, kind of selfies and, and kind of walking around Durham and so on. The For us, you know, one of the reasons we wanted to um, mention uh, Back to the Future as part of this podcast is back to film marketing. What are the lessons that we can learn? But also, more importantly, what are the lessons we can learn from films before the internet? Because I think there's a convenience factor with the internet where people can quickly come up with, well, this is the plan because that's what we're going to do online. When you release a film 1985 and you're not sure it's going to work, what else is available to you? And it begins, I think, with, with a strong product. So the crafting of Back to the Future from the way it looks and sounded, and I'll take you back to a comment I made earlier about the calligraphy of the title, and the photography mm. style, and the language that you pointed out so that it was a unique film. Nobody else wrote the script the way it was written. Nobody said those words before and, and since, apart from out of respect in TV series like Big Bang, Big Bang Theory and, and, and the likes. Uh, you start with a strong product, start with a strong offer, and then once you 
surround yourself with the right people. I think that was also what was important to think about it. They tried the studios, didn't quite work. So I tell you what, then studios, you'll do your bit as a distributor. You, you'll just pass on. But we're going to surround ourselves with the right people. Um, I think the key appointment uh, on the board, so to speak, of the steering group was Steven Spielberg, who was doing rather well already then back in the mid-80s, but even himself was still at heart an indie filmmaker and producer. This has been such a great conversation, <laughs> Pascal. And I know that unless I put a stop to this, we could carry on talking about Back to the Future for the rest of the afternoon. So I think I'm going to have to quote Biff Tannen to bring this segment to a close. I think we need to make like a tree and get out of here. Or is it make like a tree and leave? I can never remember which. <laughs> Thank you so much for watching this episode of Two Geeks in a Marketing Podcast. We'd be delighted if you'd subscribe to the show, leave comments or suggestions in all the places that you watch and listen to your podcasts. Until next time, go out there and make sure your marketing is done right. I was Roger Edwards and he was Pascal Fintoni. Mm-hmm.